Well, there's a guy that uh, invited some friends over and they were having dinner at his house. And while they're having dinner, when they finished, the women went into the kitchen and the men stayed at the table. And one of the men looked at the other and said, we had a great time at a super restaurant last night. You've got to go. And his guest said, well, what's the name of the restaurant? We'd love to. And the man thought and scratched his head and thought and thought and thought. And he looks at his friend at the table and he said, what's that flower that, that, you, that you get when, when you're in trouble? It's, um, you buy it for somebody. It's red. It has thorns. It smells really good. And his guest said, a rose. He said, That's it. hey, Rose, what was the name of that restaurant last night? That... You know, um, that's kind of the way it is, isn't it? I mean, I've come to learn that it doesn't matter how many candles are on your birthday cake, that uh, memory and thinking of things and being reminded of things uh, comes at all ages, and if we're not careful, um, there's, some, there's some big things that, that we will forget. And I guess that most of us have probably experienced forgetfulness. Um, it's kind of irritating when it happens. I mean, uh, think about it for a second. You know, uh, there's things that happen in life. Maybe you've forgotten something once or twice or third or 10. What number was I on? But uh, as, we, as we think about things, we forget a lot. And if we're not careful, it can really disturb us. Um, have you ever been driving somewhere and, and you're in the middle of a drive, a good 10 minutes into the drive and you stop and you go like, where am I going? Has that ever happened? Or does that just happen to Pastor Pam? Has it happened to anybody else? <laughs> Have you ever been having a conversation with somebody and then they ask you a question and you just kind of look at them like, uh, uh, yeah? You know, that's, uh, that's kind of like, they call it a senior moment. But again, it doesn't matter how many uh, candles are on your birthday cake. It happens to everybody. And these things, they, they come and go and they can really irritate us. So forgetfulness can be embarrassing for some and, and downright annoying uh, to most of us, yet um, most of us, if not all of us, experience some form of forgetfulness. Now, I want you to imagine with me for a second that we are there with the friends of Jesus. Now, these are the people that walked with Jesus. They saw his miracles. They saw him change water into wine at a wedding in Cana of Galilee. They saw him uh, heal his friend Lazarus, brought him back from death, saw him cast out demons from, from lots of things into swine. And uh, they even saw him take a couple of biscuits and, and a couple of fish that a little boy had, and he multiplied it and fed over 20,000 people, uh, as we learn from the scriptures. These are the people that saw everything that happened in Jesus' life. And while they were with him, Jesus specifically said that the time was coming that one day he would no longer be with them, but he was going back to heaven. And he had said to them and had taught them and had poured into them everything that they needed to know about life. But the minute that he left them, guess what? They forgot it all. They forgot it. They didn't realize what it was all about. Now, now it kind of begs the question this morning. Why, why is it that, that um, the things that are unfathomable truths, the things that are undisputable truths, I should say, the things that we know are rock solid, why is it that we can't remember those things sometimes? We forget those things. But it's those little things that annoy us we remember. Like, do you remember 10 years ago? Whenever we were out shopping and I asked you to please buy me a pair of red shoes and you didn't. I mean, it's that annoying. I mean, see, it's, it's laughable. It's silly stuff, right? We remember that stuff, but the undisputable truths we, we seem to forget and it just goes on our very way. And we've got to remember what Jesus' message is all about. Memory plays a key role in life. And um, uh, what we recall says a lot about who we are, and what we recall says not only about who we are, but the kind of person that we're striving to be, and that is a person uh, that God has created us to be. Do you remember when we were kids? 
that um, our teachers would set us into a, like a line and he or she would tell us a story and say, now look to the person to your left and whisper what I just told you in there. Do you remember that little game? Am I the only one that played that game? Everybody, okay. And do you remember when it got to about the third or fourth person, that whole story changed. And when it finally got to the end, it was not anywhere near the story that originally was given. Why? Because as it went down the line, people were forgetting and then they were just kind of making stuff up. And, and by the time it got there, it was not what it is. I mean, you know, when we were growing up, our parents gave us some, some great foundational truths, right? And for me, most of my um, advice as a young guy came from my mom. Uh, my dad worked a lot, but my mom, uh, she kind of gave us all advice. I'm the youngest of, of uh, four boys. And uh, remember when our parents gave us that, that advice that we remember today? And they kind of instilled it and put it in us and, and made sure that we never would forget. Like one thing my mom taught me was she said, do unto others like you want others to do unto you. She, she taught me the golden rule. She also taught me, you know, don't spit in the wind. I mean, that's kind of one. And, uh, and, and uh, you know, here's this other one. I never could figure this one out. Always wear clean underwear because you never know if you're going to be in an accident. Did, you ever, did your mom ever teach you that one? I, what, what was behind that? And then she taught me one that said, trust in the Lord and lean not on your own understanding. I mean, that one's scriptural. And, and so there's things that we learn from those that we love and those that we care about, and, and they impress it upon us. And why do they do that? Because if they don't keep impressing it upon us, if they don't keep reminding us of these things that they want us to know, what happens? We forget it. Uh, you know, after his resurrection, Matthew's gospel says that, uh, that Jesus directs the women to go tell the disciples to go to Galilee. And he says, go to Galilee, tell my brothers to go to Galilee and meet me there exactly like I've told you that before. And, and it's at that moment that, that Jesus uh, says that, that the women remember the words that he had spoken early on before he even went to the cross. And, and Mark says it this way, it is necessary that the Son of Man proceed to an ordeal of suffering to be tried and found guilty by the elders, the high priests, the religion scholars to be killed, and after three days, rise up again. Jesus said this message incessantly to his believers. He told them time and time again that this is exactly what's going to happen. And the moment that, that he's dead, and the moment that his body is cold in the tomb, there's no pulse, no heartbeat, no EEG can measure any kind of brainwave. They have forgotten all of this. Some went and hid in, into rooms for fear of their own lives. Others went back to their vocations of fishing and net mending because the hopes and dreams of everything that they had thought about in Jesus, they had forgotten the words that he told them. He said, it's gonna happen. And this is exactly what's gonna happen. And yet, they forgot. Now this morning, I wanna take us to two specific pieces of scripture. One is one that pa Pastor Pam read, and I'm gonna take us into a different translation. And the other one comes out of Matthew's Gospel, chapter 28. And why these two pieces of scripture? These two pieces of scripture, because I believe that this is where we've got to kind of hang in and bow, when, when our thought is, what is our mission and our purpose as a people and as a church, whenever we're wondering and waffling and wavering on that, we've gotta go back to these two pieces of scripture. Here's what Matthew says. This is Jesus speaking. He has, um, he has died. He has uh, resurrected. He has not ascended into heaven yet. He gathers them together in Galilee, and he begins to say something to them, and it's what they call the commission. Jesus, undeterred, went right ahead and gave his charge. God, this is Jesus speaking, God authorized and commanded me to commission you. 
Go out and train everyone that you meet, far and near, in this way of life, marking them by baptism in the threefold name of Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Then instruct them in the practice of all that I've commanded you. And I'll be with you as you do this day after day after day, right up until the end of the age. Now, those words capture for us the purpose, not only of the church, but the purpose of God's people. Did you catch it? I mean, Jesus is specific. And so often when we forget the purpose of the church, we sometimes forget the purpose of the church. And what we begin to think the purpose of the church is, well, the bulletin isn't exactly like my neighbor's church. And oh, by the way, they did their Christmas Eve service this way. We, sh we need to do it the same way because that was really cool and ours wasn't. Or why are we singing those kinds of songs? Why don't we sing those? Or uh, why is this or why is that? We lose sight of the mission of the church. That's not the purpose of the church. Jesus commands under authority, and he instills that authority in you and me. And he says that this is the purpose of the church. And that's why he specifically, specifically called the disciples to Galilee after his resurrection, because he wanted to make sure once and for all, before he was out of sight and out of mind, that they truly not only got it, but they would remember it. And that they not only would get it and remember it, but they would live it and they would go about it. Nowhere in those words that I read you in Matthew 28 does Jesus say that, that the church, the work of the church, and the people of the church are to be apathetic. Nowhere does it say that we are to, to, to just sit by and be observers. Nowhere does it say that we are to ca be casual about sharing our faith. Nowhere does it say that we are to just take care of ourselves and forget everybody else. These words talk about a purpose and a mission. What Jesus said was action-oriented. It had purpose. It had meaning. It was full of life. He says, go out. Go train everyone. Go out. Don't just sit in a building, but go out into your community. Go out into your workplace. Go out into your neighborhoods. Go into your own homes. Go out into the workforces, into your schools, the golf course, wherever. Don't sit in a building and practice your faith, but go out. Go out and meet everyone. Train them and meet them far and near in this way of life. Don't just associate with believers, but help them others, help others, help them others, help others know the importance of what it means to be a disciple. Then he says, mark them by baptism. Put the mark of the Christian faith on them. Water, symbolically, shows the washing away of our sin. But what it does is it identifies us as a disciple and of the family of Jesus Christ. He says, mark them with that. Instruct them in the practice of all the things that I have commanded you to do. Don't just go and churn and burn and win people for Jesus, but teach them what it means to be a disciple. Teach them what it means to live every day into the love of God. Teach them every day to trust God, to, to do more than just say, I believe but walk with them and train them in those particular ways. So the question this morning is, do you remember that this is our purpose? Do you remember that this is the mission that you have, that I have, that we all have, as we are followers of Jesus Christ? The other place in Scripture where, where God's Word outlines the life of the church and, the, and the, the life of a disciple or a follower of Jesus is found in the passage that Pastor Pam read. Ephesians 4, the Apostle Paul the one who 
was an enemy of the faith who became one of its greatest uh, gatherers of people for the faith, uh, started churches and became a great warrior, disciple for Jesus. Paul says this, in light of all this, here's what I want you to do. While I'm locked up here, a prisoner for the master, why is Paul in jail? Why is he in chains? Because he's living his life for Jesus. And what that means is sometimes when we live our life for Jesus, that it's not pretty. It means that there are some times that we have to make sacrifices. It means there are times in our lives when, when, when things happen to us, even as believers. Things, not everything's rosy when you're a believer. And Paul is, finds himself in prison, and he says, while I'm locked up here, a prisoner for the master, I want you to get out there, and I want you to walk, better yet, run. Paul is saying, go, go be about the business of the faith. Go out and tell people about the love and the grace and the forgiveness and the restoration of Jesus Christ. He says, better yet, don't walk, but run, but run on the road that God has called you to travel. Did you know that you're traveling on a road that God has called you to travel on? And if you don't recognize that that's it, then, then get good with God and, and see the road that he's prepared for you. But it puts it into perspective that we're all traveling on that road and to be on the road that God has prepared for us. He says, I don't want any of you to sit around on your hands. Now, if you have young kids, we tell them to do that. Sit on your hands, don't move. You can breathe, but don't move, right? And, and what does it mean to sit on your hands? Well, it, you know, what he's saying is that there's no action being taken. There's nothing I can do. And he says, don't do that. Quit prohibiting yourself from living into the gospel. You're helpless. Stop doing that. And he goes on to say, pour yourselves out for each other in acts of love, alert at noticing differences, and quick at mending fences. This is so important. You know, sometimes we think about anytime someone disagrees or thinks a little bit differently than we do within the church, we get mad at them. Well, you don't think like I do, or you don't, you don't think the same way that I do or what I think. And we get mad at it. But we've got to remember that, you know what, Christianity is a big tent, and there's a lot of people under that tent. And we're all trying to work out our salvation. We're all trying to work out how that relationship between God and us and others is all worked out. And some of us are, are at one place in our faith journey. Some of us are at others. Some of us are asking questions because we're, we're wanting to learn and yearn about that. But we can't get mad. And Paul says whenever there's differences, make sure that you don't like nuke each other. Don't go around saying my button's bigger than yours. You know, Go and, and mend the fences, work it out, and make sure that you come back and, and love one another. So Paul reminds us, and he reminds the people of the church that when differences occur, that we must remember that our role and our goal is to always find unity. Doesn't mean that we all are always going to agree on the same thing, but we must be in unity. We must accept that we can live together in the midst of the tension that it has been occurred. He goes on to write, you were all created to travel on the same road and in the same direction, so stay together, both outwardly and inwardly. We're on a journey. Your journey is not different than my journey. My journey is not different than yours. We're all supposed to be traveling the same journey, and we're supposed to be doing it together, not going in different directions and being divisive, not trying to, you know, set up our house of worship is better than yours and we do this better and you do that better. We are all to be traveling the same journey. We are not to be competing. We are to be in harmony and in unity. 
as we move forward, as he says. We have one master, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, who rules over all, works through all, is present in all, and everything that you are and think and do is permeated with oneness. Now, that word permeated in the Greek is a really interesting word. And what it means is it means like soaked in, or it means fashioned in, or it means absorbed, infused, floods, saturated, spreads through all of that. And what he's talking about is that, that all of this is supposed to work together and that God has created us to live in unity. And that unity in the church and unity in the disciples of Jesus is God-breathed. He breathes that into us. And he says that I soak you. I permeate in all of you this oneness and this unity. So as we begin this new year, it's so important for us to kind of recalibrate, to refocus, um, to reimagine this journey that we're on and to make sure that we are reminded of the purpose of the church and the purpose of we who are disciples and that we are to come together in unity and to not be separate with that. Whenever someone joins the local church in the United Methodist Church, the, the pastor asks some questions. And those questions are, are very important to ask. But the one thing that our book of discipline allows the pastor who is the lead pastor to do is to add questions. Now, some would say, well, why would you add questions when, when the liturgy or the way that the church does it is supposed to be the right thing? Why would you add to that? Well, um, I've added some questions through the years of, of every church that I've been a pastor with I've added these questions to it simply because I believe it folds in Ephesians 4 and it reminds us of our purpose. So when someone is joining St. Paul, you will hear me say not only the questions that we normally do, but I'll add these questions there. And I think it's really important as we begin this uh, new year that you and I as the body of Christ together, that we go back over these questions one, one, with one another and that we reaffirm the ideals the values of what these questions represent. Are you with me? So let's do this together this morning. So, so how do we remember our role as a Christian people? Let's say these together. I will protect the unity of my church by acting in love toward other people. And that means that, that you're going to, to be in unity with others, that you're going to act in love, that your first response to someone is not a negative response, but that it's a, a response of agape, godly love, and that the unity is important, and that's such a high value that we want to hold on to, that you will do everything you possibly can to maintain unity in your church. Let's do the second one together. I will share the responsibility of my church by praying for its growth, by inviting the unchurched to attend, and by warmly welcoming those who visit. Why is that question so important? Why is that statement so real? We need to be reminded that the church and, and what's about the church is not about us. It's not about the people who are the believers of the body. That we must always be reminded that everyone is entitled and everyone needs the love of Jesus Christ. And therefore, we are going to reach out beyond the walls. That we are going to reach out beyond our Christian circles of friends. And we are going to touch people who may not know who God is. And we are going to, out of love, to be invitational, to invite them, and to bring them apart, to be a part of this walk of discipleship. Let's do the third one. I'll serve the ministry of this church by discovering my gifts and talents, by being equipped to serve by my pastors and lay leadership, 
and by developing a servant's heart. See, too often we think that, well, we have pastors, well, we pay them, they're supposed to do the ministry. Too often we say, well, we have a staff, we pay them, they're, they're the ones that do ministry. Biblically, my role as a pastor is to empower you to do the ministry. Biblically, I'm not supposed to be the one who does the ministry. I'm to teach you and give you the authority to do that. That's why Jesus gave the Great Commission. He's giving the authority to the disciples and saying, go do this. So, so this says that you're going to discover your gifts. It means you're going to understand how you can serve and, and the role that you're going to play in God's plan through the life of this local church. And it means that you're not going to sit on the sideline. It means that you're not going to just back away and let other people do the work of the church, but that you're going to step forward and you're going to say, let me explore what my gifts are and put me in, coach, I'm ready to play. Does that make sense? All right, here's the fourth one. Let's look at this one. I will support the testimony of my church by attending faithfully, living a godly life, and by giving regularly through my time, talents, gifts, and service. Now, notice it says living a godly life. Notice it doesn't say living a perfect life, all right? Because none of us is perfect, and this is not a church for perfect people. But it means that we're going to strive for a godly life. And you know what? As I strive for a godly life, I make mistakes. To sin means to miss the mark. To repent means to change direction. So every day, I am constantly faced with decisions and choices just like you are. And my hope is that by, by remembering that I'm gonna take the steps uh, to do, strive to do and to live my godly life. So these are the hopes that we have in remembering who we are. And that's why it's so important. And as we celebrate the sacrament of communion today, we remember the life, the death, and the resurrection of our Lord Jesus Christ. And as we come and splash in the waters of baptism, we're reminded of our discipleship.